I think the first like um, two minutes that you engage with Instagram is probably is certainly the most valuable because that's when your five friends show up and you're willing to go down the feed a little bit. That quality time, those those first two minutes are far higher than the quality time I think on TikTok generally when you're like scrolling. Because once you find a video that you like and you watch it, the next video you're like you almost give no credence to. You know, it's almost mm-hmm. like I'm flipping channels. My last episode is the the last show is over. Welcome to season two of Limited Supply, the place for refreshingly real takes on what D2C is really like. We're your hosts, Nick and Moyes. Let's get into it and start making money. I'm super impressed with how Triple Whale provides data solutions for direct-to-consumer brands. Better data means better decisions that help you scale to the moon. Use promo code SUPPLY15 to get 15% off when you sign up at triplewhale.com. Okay, I know it says that this is what we're supposed to read. Uh-huh. If you DM me on Twitter, I will get you 20% off. Fuck this 15% off. I'm going to push those guys. Uh, so just DM me on Twitter. I'll give them 20%. DM Moyes for 20% off. Perfect. Okay, great. Okay, here we go. Season two, episode one. I can't believe we've made it this long. We Did lasted that. 12 episodes. We lasted a two-week break without seeing each other constantly. And now we're back. Okay, super excited. First, we got to start with congratulating our contest winners for dropping reviews on Apple Podcasts. So the four people are Nate Rosen, Dylan Whitman, David Lindahl, and Pranay Srinivasan. So I'll be DMing you guys on Twitter. We'll organize a session for both Moyes and I to jump on Zoom and talk through whatever business brand services business you have going and see how we can help. Uh, so I just looked. We have 67 five-star reviews. We have nothing other than five-star reviews. We need reviews, two more. Which is pretty awesome. We need 69. <laughs> <laughs> and I also noticed that you butchered only the Indian guy's name, which is the best part. I would have also butchered it, uh, but it's quite ironic. Okay, awesome. Excited about it. And thank you very much for the strong reviews. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it's we pretty amazing. I mean, we, we, we never thought this was going to get any reviews or any listens. So. Yeah, yeah. I love this. Cool to make it to season two. Yeah. Okay, we're going to talk about a few things today. First, we're going to talk about the stock market uh, because we're in, by definition, bear territory. Uh, Facebook stock is down. A bunch of direct-to-consumer businesses have their stock dropping or crashing, really. Interest rates are up, and I want to talk about that because I think it's really important and helps us frame the context for the rest of it. Uh, We're going to talk about the Lemmy case study. We're going to talk about aggregators like Thrasios of the world, uh, programmatic digital commerce, and SaaS companies building features if we get all the way there. Awesome. Let's get into it. I think you should lead us into the the stock market. You're the uh, the finance guru in my eyes. Uh, okay. I, if that's the case, uh, then you're blind. It's a blind leading the blind here. Let me start <laughs> with, uh, by admitting that. You know, I, I guess what's crazy is all these direct-to-consumer brands are suffering so much. Like Allbirds, as of today, has a 400-some million dollar valuation. It IPO'd six months ago at $4 billion, which means $3.6 billion of value has evaporated from the brand that's like probably doing as well as everyone expected it to do six months ago. Like, I'm not sure if people were like, yeah, this is the next Nike and uh, fuck Phil Knight and running Uh, and Michael (laughs) and Jordans and LeBron James. Like, this is it. I don't think anyone had that mentality. I think it's doing about as well as everyone expected it to do. Its valuation is less, I believe, than all the cash that it's raised at this point, which is also crazy, meaning basically if all the investors who've given Allbirds money just put it into a bank account, they'd have more money today than they would if they sold all of if Allbirds stock was sold today, if all of Allbirds stock was sold today, which is really nuts. And so the stock market is crashing. Like Facebook stock today is something at like um 
a $370 billion valuation, $360 billion, and it holds something like $70 billion in cash. So if you think about Facebook and you think of it as like, you know, the business is worth X and the amount of cash that it has is worth Y, Y is something like $70 billion. So the business itself is worth less than $300 billion. And, you know, about a year ago or something, it was worth a trillion dollars. And now it's $300 billion. So these are massive changes for probably like some of the biggest direct-to-consumer businesses that are in our space and then the biggest businesses that, uh, you know, help us navigate and think about this space. Right. And that's really stunning to me. And I was thinking about this yesterday and I was like, you know, is it TikTok that's eating Instagram's lunch? This is why I wrote this thing, which is QTA versus, I think of it as quota versus TOA. Like on Instagram, I think the quality of time that people spend on Instagram is much higher than the quality of time you spend on TikTok. Yeah. Like when you're on Instagram and you're looking at stories, the first 10 stories are your friends or people that you want to actually see what The profiles you always go to. Yeah, exactly. The feed, when it opens up, it's like, okay, I'm not going to go all the way down until it says you're caught up. But I'm going to scroll down a bunch and be like, did anyone, one of my friends post an interesting photo? Is there anything I need to know about my friends today or like, you know, in the last two hours, because I'm opening it up 12 times a day. So I think the quality of time is so strong. Like when I open up the app and start scrolling through stories, I'm actually looking at my phone and paying attention. And as a result, I'm more likely to see ads and be engaged with them versus TikTok where I'm like opening it up. Like I'm almost like this is a TV and I'm flipping channels on a television and I'm half paying attention to it and half zoned out where I'm just like, forget this. This doesn't matter. It's just literally flipping channels. Yeah. I think people underestimate the value of Instagram as a result of that because the quality of time is so much higher on Instagram than it is on TikTok. I'm not sure if the overall amount of time spent on TikTok is greater than the overall amount spent uh, amount of time spent on Instagram. I don't think we can be sure because these guys aren't releasing that type of information, but I bet the quality time is much higher on Instagram. Yeah, I know for Instagram, I'll check through stories and then after about six or seven people, it starts to get to people that I don't really care about that much or like (laughs) influencers. Yeah. And then I close that and then, you know, a couple of thumb swipes on the feed and then it just gets into like meme territory. And then it's like, all right, I've already actually seen these memes on Twitter and they're now getting reposted to Instagram or they're viral TikToks that two days later get to Instagram. Yeah. And so I think that's definitely one part. I feel like the other part is that there's just so much competition for eyeballs and Instagram hasn't found a way to consistently win eyeballs or, and same with Facebook. I mean, pretty much nobody I know that I can think of spends real time on Facebook, meaning more than 25, 30 minutes a day. It's either TikTok or it's something else. And Instagram too, I mean, for the longest time, they're just basically copying features versus creating their own. I do feel though, as if, if they had created something like Be Real, are you familiar with Be Real? Yeah, yeah, I just posted my first Be Real yesterday. TikTok cloned it. Yeah, so they cloned it. Instagram also cloned it. But if 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 one of them had come up with that first, they would have probably won a, a solid amount. I don't know for how long, but at least a few weeks worth of a bump that I'm sure they would have made a ton of money on. Yeah, um, I guess a few things. One is Snapchat saved Instagram. Ironically, like cloning right. Snapchat stories or whatever they were called on Snapchat and bringing them into Instagram is the reason that Instagram exists today. Like all yeah. engagement was falling off of a cliff until yeah. Instagram brought stories in. So I think ironically, Snapchat saved Instagram uh, and cloning that uh, saved Instagram. And so I bet Instagram's like, look, 
cloning stuff works. It saved us in the past. Maybe it'll save us in the future. You're right. I think the first like um, two minutes that you engage with Instagram is probably is certainly the most valuable because that's when your five friends show up and you're willing to go down the feed a little bit. That quality time, those those first two minutes are far higher than the quality time, I think, on TikTok generally when you're like scrolling. Because once you find a video that you like and you watch it, the next video you're like, you almost give no credence to, you know, it's almost mm-hmm. like I'm flipping channels. My last episode is the, the last show is over. And so I don't, I think the time probably spent on TikTok is far greater. You're right, like per person. I think the quality time might be a little bit higher on Instagram, at least for this first 30 seconds. Uh, you know, talking about Facebook stock, you were like, hey, nobody spends 25 to 30 minutes on it. I think the reality is we're probably not the right demographic Agreed. on Facebook anymore. Yeah. It's like my, like my sister, who's a mother and has two kids, is on Facebook groups all the time to be like, hey, I'm looking for a nanny. Uh, I'm looking for the best place to enroll my kids in soccer classes or in swimming classes or karate or something to that effect. Or like, where are Halloween decorations I should get that my kids will really love? And all of that happens within Facebook groups. And there's no, like, you could not remove her from Facebook groups. The best part for Facebook is that that is a really valuable asset because those mothers are women who are spending a ton of money and not necessarily us who are like, you know, probably not spending as much money through ads. One last point that came to mind too is Instagram kind of used to be a marquee platform to post your best version of content. Yeah. And now with so many different platforms, it's like you just post one thing to, to all platforms. There's not really like a... You start with Instagram and, and yeah. let that kind of be your TV per se. Yeah. It's just like, okay, we got to post to Instagram feed, Instagram stories, Facebook stories, Pinterest, TikTok stories, TikTok feed. There's no primary slot to post your content anymore. I don't understand how to think about this yet. And I don't understand how it works. But like, if I were seeing the Northern Lights, you know, and uh, I would travel to Europe and saw the Northern Lights, yeah. I'd post that as an Instagram story and I wouldn't post it on TikTok. And I think it would be correct as an Instagram story and not as a TikTok. Yeah. And I don't know what this these rules are that we've There's created. rules, Moise. Yeah, there are rules. I don't know what the right answer is other than to, I think Facebook is ve- incredibly undervalued. Like Instagram is such, it's like everyone still opens up Instagram 15 times a day. It's yeah. not like you, like, you know, you might open up TikTok once and look at it for 30 minutes. You open up Instagram 15 times for two minutes each and right. you still get to that 30 minutes. I'm not sure which one is more valuable, but I'm shocked at where Facebook's valuation is and yeah. how much the stock has come down. Agreed. Okay, I wanted to chat about interest rates for one quick second. Basically, interest rates for the past several years have been virtually nothing. Like if you put your money in a bank account, you get zero interest. There's no savings account. You right. get zero. Per- if you put $1,000 into a savings account at Bank of America a year ago, you'd have $1,000. There was mm-hmm. There's no interest there. And um, the U.S. government is maybe the bank that everyone like admires the most because it has like it'll never default, right? Like uh, the U.S. Treasury, U.S. government borrows money all of the time, and the lenders are people like you and me and Warren Buffett. Mm -hmm. Uh, We lend money to the U.S. government, and the U.S. government pays us money back a year or two years or ten years or thirty years down the line. So a year ago, if you lent a thousand dollars to the U.S. government, they would pay you eighty cents a year later in interest. So you you get $1,000 plus 80 cents as interest for the $1,000 you lent them. Right. Today, they're willing to give you $4.17, no, $40, I'm sorry, on $1,000. 40 on 1,000. Yeah. And before they were giving you 80 cents. Wow. And uh, that's 4%? Yeah, it's 4%. And that is a massive, massive amount more than nothing, basically. Yeah. And so I think a lot of people are saying, why am I putting money into 
all of these other places when the US government is pretty giving me is guaranteed to give me 4%. Like they're not going to be like, "Oh, we can't pay the $1000." It's the US government. It's right. the only organization that everyone trusts will be able to pay back their loans and they're giving you a pretty decent return. And so prior to this, I bought bonds or like, you know, I'd been a lender to companies like Uber. Yeah. And, oh, that were paying 5 or 6%. And now I'm like, uh, all of those companies have a lot more default risk than the U.S. government. U.S. government bonds are way more liquid in that I can buy and sell them way easier. And I'm getting a pretty decent amount of interest on this. And that's what's crazy. Like, you know, uh, even six months ago, the interest that you were getting from the U.S. government was nothing. In the last six months, it's gone up to 4%. Yeah, that's pretty wild. It's, it sounds like Suli will make $1.2 off of 30. Yeah, that's right. And like, you know, if you've got money in a bank account or like a, a, a CD or something, all of a sudden you're pay, getting paid 2%. Right. Like I had several million dollars in Marcus by Goldman Sachs. And I was like, I want a savings account here because the <laughs> savings account here is better than the money I can get actually anywhere else. Right. They were paying like 2% when everyone else was paying 1% as like an introductory rate. They're like, we're going to give you 2%. Right. And I was like, this is amazing. And they're like, we cap it at $3 million. So I opened like 10 accounts basically, and just kept putting in a bunch of money in different accounts. And yeah. I had all these logins. Now, uh, like they're like, hey, we're going to give you more than 2%, but now the US Treasury is giving you 4%. So that 4%, is that locked in or does that is that dynamic? Does that change throughout the year or you sign an agreement when you give the money? Yeah, you basically sign an agreement when you give the money. I mean, you don't actually sign an agreement, sure. but yeah, you sign an agreement and they're like, this is what it is. Now, the crazy part is every day it changes. Got it. So like on Friday, on Friday they were paying 4.15 for a year. Today, they're paying 4.17, which is a wow. small difference, yeah. but it's been a couple days. And so every day it changes a little bit depending on what people think about. People are basically like, we think interest rates are going to go up, so we're, the Fed is going to have to pay more here, or the US government is going to have to pay more here. Right. So it changes a little bit. So you do take a little bit of risk because you're getting 4%, but what happens in a month if you could have gotten 5%? Right. You just got a little fucked. You know? Right, yeah. And, but like this is crazy and- uh, really changing the way I think a lot of people are investing. And this has all probably happened in the last 14 days where interest rates have really gone up, where people are like, wow, there's a lot of interest. There's a lot of money the US government will pay you and not other companies will pay you. Like a Microsoft bond will earn you 3% or something like that. I mean, Suli has 30 million to put in. Where does somebody go put in like five grand? Good question. There are a bunch of like ETFs that mimic the bond prices. Got it. Um, and the, what was crazy was like, you know, we uh, Solomon and I got on a call with um, the guy who's managing this th that $30 million. And they had kept it in a place where they were, they were earning 1% interest. And so we're like, why are you keeping it in this place where we're getting 1% interest? It was like a Vanguard ETF. Right. Like, you know, you can buy Vanguard ETFs like you can buy stocks. We're like, why are you getting 1% interest through here when the US government is paying four? And they're like, okay, yeah, we should move it to the four. And we're like, yeah, you should fucking move it to the four. You should have done this before we called you. That's why we pay you. You should have called us to tell, <laughs> yeah. to, to tell us that you were doing you should, this. You should ask for your fee back. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. I hope one day we get a chance to talk about like wealth managers. Yeah. I think the problem is when entrepreneurs get rich and they're like tired, so they put their money with wealth managers and every wealth manager I've worked with is the worst person in the whole right. world. Yeah. They're not as scrappy. They're not scrappy. They're not even trying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like I, I used to tell my Goldman, I uh, used to work with Goldman Sachs, which was a fucking terrible experience. And I, I told the boss of the person that I was working with, I was like, they're like, if you're thinking about investing any money, call us and we'll give you advice. 
And every time I call them, I'm like, hey, I'm thinking about investing this money in this thing. They're like, that's a bad idea. That's a bad idea. I'm like, everything you think is, they're like, instead of investing that with this business, give it to us, let us manage it. We'll take fees. They want the fees. Yeah, we'll take yeah. fees and we'll get you more dollars. Right. I used to say, if uh, Bill Gates was sitting across the table and he said, Moise, if you give me a dollar today, I will give you a billion dollars tomorrow. And I called up my Goldman Sachs wealth manager and I was like, what do you think of this? They'd be like, no, no, give us the dollar. <laughs> yeah. Don't give it to Bill Gates, even though he's, he's going to sign a document saying he's going to give you a billion dollars tomorrow and he's got the money. In fact, he could give you the billion dollars right now in a briefcase. We still and they'd want be like, no, 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 don't do it. Give it to us. We think we can do better. And I'm yeah. like, you, you guys don't, don't give a shit about my returns whatsoever. Right. All you fucking care about, Goldman Sachs, is you charging fees. And so they I was take so basically fees on money invested versus a carry type of model? Correct. Yeah, they Got take it. fees on money sitting in their account. Got They're it. like, okay, whatever you're saying, you have, a, you have $100 million here. We're going to take a quarter percent or half a percent of this every year, no matter what happens. So you're like, oh, I'm going to take some money out and invest it with uh, this guy. He's like, no, 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 no. We're getting that half percent. Yeah. I need to protect that half percent, you know? Yeah. And so it was a, just a terrible, terrible uh, experience at them. And wow. every wealth manager I've worked with, I've always been like, you you are actually just as bad as Goldman Sachs. Um, and so I think every, by the time entrepreneurs get rich, they're so tired. They're like, we don't want to build a wealth manager, but some entrepreneur needs to go out and build a wealth manager. Yeah, it sounds like Ollie Wealth Management is coming soon and they're bringing the... The government no, bonds. I'm too tired. But, um, <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I thought the interest rate thing was really crazy. Yeah, like, it's fascinating. If you, like, basically, if you have a corporate bank account and you've got $100,000 in there, go open up a savings account or something. You can earn 2 to 3% interest right. today that you couldn't have earned six months ago. Six months ago, it wasn't worth a hassle. Today, it is worth a hassle. Totally. Okay. Let's uh, change the subject and talk about Lemmy. So Lemmy launched today. Today is September 27th. Lemmy is a vitamins company. Let me see exactly how they They have 200,000 Instagram followers. Yeah, that's the power of today. the Kardashians. It's insane. So they launched today. They launched with 200,000 Instagram followers. They launched with uh, five-figure numbers, both with email and SMS pre-launch. It's really interesting because the Kardashians have never really played in this world of consumables until recently with Kendall with tequila. Uh, before that, it was, you know, Skims was, I mean, there were Skims. They did a shoes company. They've done uh, wow, fragrance. Wow, I never thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. So consumables is like a whole different world of supply chain and thinking through lifetime value and yeah. how to monetize an audience. Essentially, it's, it's a vitamin brand, which makes a lot of sense because it's aligned with Kourtney Kardashian. Courtney is one of the probably top 10 or top 15, 20 most followed people on the internet in the world. And so she created the supplements brand. And what they did was instead of just creating it with like pills and capsules or tablets, they're doing it with a different form factor, which is really interesting. There's a couple companies that have started to do this. There's one called Source, S-O-U-R-S-E, I think, uh, which is a chocolate candy type of a vitamin. And so with Lemmy, they basically said, all right, we're going to go ahead and create gummies and we're going to name them around this verb of Lemmy. So they're... De-stress one is called chill, so it's let me chill. Or, you know, their focus one, concentration is called focus, so it's let me focus. And they're launching right now with gummies. My guess is they're going to be launching with more form factors in the next couple months. And they're going to basically try to take on the supplements world 
not by ingredients or yeah. specific things there. I think their angle is going to be, we make vitamins fun by giving you candy that is actually a vitamin, but you don't even realize it's a vitamin. Isn't that all gummy vitamins at this point, though? Aren't all gummy vitamins candies? Well, yeah, I think gummy vitamins are. But I think a lot of the vitamins that are still sold on the market at you know the shelves of Target, for yeah. example, are still tablets yeah, or capsules. Definitely, definitely. But the other thing that's interesting is, so Courtney... Uh, a couple of years ago, launched a website called Poosh. That is just poosh.com. And it used to be something that was actually set up and maintained by a company called Reward Style, which is a yeah. uh, phenomenal affiliate network of yeah. some of just the best publishers, bloggers. The biggest retail companies in the world work with Reward Style and can rely on one to $2 million of online revenue Through just from their time. affiliates in yeah. a single weekend. Wow. And so so they launched Poosh. At the time, it was an affiliate platform. It seems like they actually removed their relationship with Reward Style, or at least it's not written here anymore. But Poosh itself gets about 600,000 monthly unique visitors and about a minute and a half is spent on the site. So this whole concept of content to commerce uh, that everybody talks about is literally going to be at play here. You know, it's always interesting with with celebrity brands. Uh, conversion rate is generally lower because there's always traffic coming and there's always global traffic, even yeah. though you can't ship globally. But I'm really interested to That's see both how this brand converts from a standpoint of the social media platforms, as well as what happens when the shows air, because now season two of the Kardashians is back and I'm sure they're going to have, you know, this is going to be all over the show. Yeah. I guess a few things. One is, um, do you know the guy who started Method? Have you ever heard of the brand Method, like that yeah. hand soap company? They sold to SC Johnson? They sold to, like, yeah. Uh, ultimately, they, they sold to a couple of private equity firms along the way. Got on it. the way to SC Johnson. But, like, uh, the guy left and started, uh, after Method, he started a brand called Ali. Oh, and yeah. he did, like, something like this, where he's, like, every vitamin in the when I walk into Target is like D12 and nobody knows what the fuck vitamin D12 is supposed to be doing. So he's like, instead of um, making vitamins based on the actual vitamin you're consuming, how about I build a brand based on like the benefit you should be getting, which was like sleep or energy or something to that effect. Right. Uh, and so he started selling gummies. That business, Ollie, O-L-L-Y, ended up selling to Unilever. Um, one of the tr troubling things I always thought about gummies, I'm not sure if this problem has been solved, is whether they melt in the heat. Like if you ship uh, this Lemmy or Ollie to Arizona in the summer at 112 degrees, does the customer get one big gummy bear or do they get, you know, 60 gummy bears like they're supposed to? I'm not sure what the answer is to that. Yeah. I, I mean, the Kardashians are know the internet better than anybody else. Frankly, this Lemmy site reminds me a lot of Hydrant in some ways. But I think that like uh, this is going to be tough because this this is such a noisy category, like concentration gummies, de-stress gummies, energy gummies. Like, you know, th these are gummies that we've seen for a really long time. And this packaging also isn't like uh, mind blowing to me. But I, you know, look, they ha they have uh, tens of millions of followers who love yeah. what they do, and so uh, what do I know? The worst case scenario is this becomes a billion dollar business with their audience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good worst case scenario. Uh, um, pretty crazy that they can launch with so many Instagram followers and so much like, you know, uh, like it's already a beautiful Instagram page. Yeah. I, I think mean, the website, the announcement Instagram post, page is beautiful. Or one of the announcement posts has, you know, over 140,000 likes, which is insane. Wow. What do you think generally of, uh, do you ever consider a celebrity for native? 
at any point? No, but I've got such a good story around that. Yeah. Uh, when we were selling the business, there was this guy who was a real asshole who I ended up really liking, uh, not surprisingly, uh, who was like um, trying to grill us about native. Like we were, we were in a management presentation. He was the CEO of a very large brand that was thinking about purchasing native. And first he's like, I know you don't care about uh, your online sales. And I was like, we're exclusively direct-to-consumer <laughs> <Yeah>. business. <laughs> Are you I'm not crack? sure what the <laughs> hell you're talking about. And yeah. he's like, if you cared, you would own native.com. And I was like, that's the beauty. And you don't. that's the thing that you don't understand yeah. about the internet anymore is it's not URL-based like that. Yeah, it's great to own uh, deodorant.com. I wish we could, or native.com. Yeah. But we also grew the business to $60 million a year direct-to-consumer on nativecos.com. And people would be like, what does COS stand for? And I was like, I don't really know either. <laughs> yeah. um, and so uh, where was I? Oh, yeah. In the management presentation, he's like, if Native was a celebrity, who would it be? Go. And he asked it in like this very dickish way. And I was like, I don't know if this person's a celebrity or not, but if we could get a celebrity to represent the brand, it would be Michelle Obama because uh, she's like classy and unimpeachable and like everyone likes her. It doesn't matter what party you're a part of or like whether you're conservative or liberal or white or black, you're just like this woman cares about her family, wants to do the right thing, cares about her health. And basically he was like, if someone asked you that question before, that's a fantastic answer. And I was like, no one's asked me before. Uh, but um, that when you started to like him? No, I, I actually liked him later on because we went out to like dinner or drinks He's like, the way I learned a lot about marketing was watching infomercials, which is actually what happened to me as well. When yeah. I was a kid, my brother and I would share a room and I would put on an infomercial on television. And he's like, why the fuck are we watching an infomercial? Yeah. And I was just mesmerized by what they were doing. And there was this guy named Ron Papil. I'm not sure if you've uh, if you ever saw, you're probably too young to remember this infomercial. He created one for like a rotisserie chicken. Huh. It was like this oven where you oh, cook a rotisserie guy. chicken and he's like, we'll sell you this. It's got a liquid flavor injector. It's got a solid flavor injector. Uh, you can put it in your RV. It's 18 minutes a pound to medium. So this guy was talking about that that uh, infomercial. And I was like, I also watched, I was like, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I was like, you know, eight years old when this thing was on, but I was addicted to watching the infomercial. Yeah. And uh, that's when we bonded. That's when we're like, okay, we learned marketing by just watching TV and consuming. Yeah. And it was really great. I really enjoyed having those conversations with him. Once he realized that, like, you know, we were trying to build a real business. I remember one of the other questions he asked is he's like, I was like, we don't have any lawsuits against us. He's like, you're not a real brand until you've been sued at least three times. So he's like, if you have no lawsuits, you're not a real brand. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm not sure, sure. if that's good or bad. <laughs> Whatever that means. Yeah. Uh, but it was actually a lot of fun. That, like uh, Talking to him was a lot of fun. And I, he and I still keep in touch a bunch. Turns out Ron just died in July last year. Ron Papil died? He died. And oh, uh, he died in LA. I know. I was thinking the same thing because he, he, I guess he used to live here. But he's got he's still got five rotisserie chicken machines up for sale at one hundred and ninety dollars. Yeah, I mean he was just like this great market, like you know before before infomercials. I mean this was like the nineties. You know I'm not sure what marketing was like in the nineties because I was just born and I didn't have any experience. Yeah, but like this guy was you know brute forcing eleven p.m. to like two a.m. on some channel at some point. Yeah, he was doing a thirty minute infomercial. Did you ever do uh, QVC or anything, any type of infomercial like that? No, we didn't. Um, you know who does that is Sarah at Curie uh, yeah, Deodorant. She, she does a QVC a bunch. Yeah, I think she she sells out most of the time. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. And I think that you were talking about the Kardashians in season two. I bet it's a lot like being um, on Shark Tank again. Where you're like, I see a, a, a huge uptick.
significant sales year. Yeah, totally. I love how TripleWell provides data solutions for direct-to-consumer brands. Better data means better decisions and getting back to scaling your company. TripleWell empowers direct-to-consumer brands to scale profitably thanks to deeper consumer insights, attribution, and profit tracking. Plus, all these metrics are available on the go through their mobile app. Are you ready to scale to the moon? Use promo code SUPPLY15 to get 15% off when you sign up at triplewell.com. All right, should we jump to aggregators? Yes. All right, so I saw Suli tweet something that basically said, all these aggregators are going to shit. Yeah. And we've talked about before how I think Thrasio's value is down like 90% or something. Yeah. And uh, you guys want to buy these. So why do you want to buy a Tupperware business? Yeah. And why do you think you can run it better than uh, these multi-billion dollar companies? Yeah, uh, great question. And, uh, you know, one of the things that this sort of goes back to our original segment, which is loan prices are up. So a lot of these businesses borrowed money. Like, you know, when you buy a house, you can borrow money on a fixed loan or an adjustable loan. Right. If you borrowed on a fixed loan and you bought a house a year ago, you're paying 2% on your mortgage, whatever, for the next 30 years. Yeah. If you borrowed it on an adjustable loan, that loan is going to go up significantly as a result of these interest rates going up. And why would somebody not use a fixed loan from the get-go? Uh, good question. The adjustable loan will be a little bit cheaper right out of the gate. Okay, got so it. So like, let's say you have, let's say you're borrowing a 30-year loan. It might be three and a quarter percent, but if you go with an adjustable rate loan, they might be like 2.5%. Got it. So it's a little bit cheaper, which is great for the, you know, short then period of time. it plays with the market. But then it moves up with the market and got now it. all of us, like, you know, so sometimes they'll say, look, it starts at 2.5 and we'll fix it for a couple of years, but then it's up to the market, whatever the market is. Got it. So if you wait a couple of years, you know, that loan will be 7% now. Makes sense. Um, and so some of these businesses I've heard borrowed money, like these aggregators borrowed money to buy Amazon businesses. And similar to homeowners, they're like, look, let's get the lowest interest rate possible, which is getting an adjustable mortgage at the time instead of a fixed rate mortgage. So they got an adjustable mortgage. And uh, now they're like, oh, fuck, loan prices are going up a lot. And I'm going to get screwed here. And that didn't just happen with aggregators. That happened with people buying houses. That happened with, you know, uh, I'm an investor in a bunch of apartment buildings. A bunch of those guys were like, we were making a ton of money because we only had to pay 2% interest rate, 2% on the amount we borrowed. Now we have to pay 7%. That 5% was how much money you were making. Guess yeah. what? Now you're not making anything. But uh, like, you know, Moise, go fuck yourself. You're not going to make anything. Now we have to pay it to the lender. You know, before we were only we borrowed a hundred thousand dollars, we only had to pay two thousand. Now we've got to pay seven thousand. That five thousand was our profit, was the right. profit we were gonna to send to you. Now there's nothing left. Right. And so these aggregators might have borrowed on uh adjustable rate mortgages or might be paying high interest rates on mortgages, or they might just be like, you know what, this business isn't working for some reason or another. I do want to buy those. And you're saying, how uh, how can I operate them better? Chances are I can't. But we just have very different goals for the business. Like sure. Those guys would buy AOL a dial-up and be like, how do I get this into the hands of everyone again? Right. And I'm buying AOL dial-up being like, let me take the last puff of this cigarette before it dies. Yeah. And I don't mind being like, this is the last puff cigarette. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, I'm addicted to those last puffs as a good <laughs> smoker. And so we just have different goals for the businesses. Right. And so that's why I think I can handle them better. And they're like, look, we don't want to have somebody operate this business that's dying. It's going to be uh, you know, a distraction for us. We've got to focus on our core competency, which is building businesses and buying new ones. While for me, I'm like, okay, you've got AOL dial-up. I want to buy it. I realize that nobody's... We have no new subscribers this year. 
and we're losing 10% of subscribers or 20% of subscribers every year. And in five years, we'll have none. But um, you'll figure out how to make your money by then. Yeah, Whereas exactly. these guys want to go get 100 million new subscribers. That's exactly right. Yeah, I agree, actually. And, and the way you were saying that too made me think back to a lot of the companies that are either raising down rounds right now or they are trying to go sell or there was another business I invested in that is basically just selling itself. They're selling 75% of their business to a marketing agency who's going to invest like 250K or something. It all comes down to like their their planning and, and how, how they plan to grow the business in the sense of like, they might have raised $2 million and they told their investors that they were going to be doing $25 million in year two, which is, first of all, just insane that anybody would put that out there and put that stress on their shoulders. But there's some people who just can do that. But if they had just planned it and forecasted so much better, and maybe instead of taking trying to get there in two years, trying to get there in six years, would totally still be around today and would be growing a lot more sustainably. One of the other things that I think makes sense in this space for people like me to buy these brands is if you've raised $10 million and your brand is worth $6 million and you can't fundraise, like it's not worth spending seven years of your life or three years of your life trying to get back and sell your business for $10 million. Yeah. Turns out you get zero. Your investors get all of it. Right. Even the next 18 months, don't spend 18 months trying to earn back the money so your investors are made whole and you get nothing. Like I, I, as an investor, I even tell my like portfolio companies, I'm like, look, if this business is going to zero, it's going to zero. Don't waste your time. You know, don't waste two more years trying to save my investment and get me a dollar for dollar hole. I'll take the 50 cents or 10 cents or even zero. Go work on something else. It's your life. You don't have 20 years to like devote to becoming an entrepreneur and trying a bunch of new ideas. Yeah, completely so those agreed. instances, I'm like, you had a $10 million business, you know, you raised $10 million at a $40 million uh, valuation, and now your business is worth $2 million. Don't work really hard to make the other eight up. Just right. sell the business for $2 million and move on and do something else with your life. Don't work two years to make me that $8 million back right? Uh, because you get nothing out of it. Right. Um, and so I think in those instances, also the brands should just trade and be like, look, we're taking a, a huge discount, but that's the way this business works. I think that's another reason that individuals like you know you and I might uh, end up with these brands. Yeah. So if you're selling, if you're selling your business, hit us up. Yeah, please hit us up. I feel like I never get any. Uh, I don't get nearly enough. Like you know the brand that you. What just was your site? Uh, Moizalibuys.com. But you can just DM me on Twitter. And you know, like there are brands that are like, look, I've got three thousand dollars in revenue last month, and I'm like, look, this isn't a good purchase for anybody. Like, this is too much time for anyone to right. get. It's like, not even at the one, yeah, from zero exactly. to one. Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah, you're at like point zero two. Correct. Yeah, and yeah. so uh, that's fine. It's just not right for me. But like, there are brands that you know grew and I didn't make it, and I have a different vision for it. And I'm not saying anyone did anything wrong. I'm just like, hey, let's let's have a different vision for it and take that last puff. Yeah. Totally. Um, how did you end up with Long Weekend again? Tell me that story. Basically, the parent company spun oh, yeah. out Lomi, and Lomi has just been on fire. Yeah. And so Long Weekend was essentially a distraction, and uh, they were basically looking to put it in somebody's hands yeah. who will focus on it and grow it. That makes so much sense. Like That's a great reason why- Yeah, you know, phenomenal. That and it was a total happens. win uh, for everybody. Yeah, that's perfect. Okay, let's switch gears and talk about programmatic digital commerce. Okay, so I didn't put much here because I wanted to uh, talk it through. Me. Yeah, I wanted to surprise you. So this is actually a concept that there was me and a few other people back in 2014 kind of drew this up. 
But basically, this idea of programmatic digital commerce was programmatic ads back in the day used to be awesome. Like you would shoot the duck and win an iPhone or an iPod. Do you remember that? Yeah. And you'd end up on some random site. And I only recently, not recently, but like a few years ago, learned that those are basically just lead gen at scale. <laughs> yeah, they were the right. most engaging lead gen sites in the world. Yeah. And, you know, somebody would say, uh, shoot a duck and, you know, you enter your number or your email, your name, and then you'd start just getting offers left and right. And that person would pay, I don't know, a, a couple dollar CPM, get a ton of signups and just arbitrage selling your, your email. Then programmatic ads got really boring and they're pretty stale even till today. And programmatic means the things at the bottom of CNN that are run by... Yeah, think about like banner ads, basically. Yeah. 300 by 250 type banner ads. And in e-commerce, they've been fairly effective for retargeting or like driving people to stores just because it's a, it's a thing in the back of your head. It's not like you're going to click it. Yeah. And the click-through rate's the other problem with programmatic commerce. So is like bad. It's so bad. So there was this deck I got that I looked at yesterday for a, a startup called Tempo. They figured out within mobile games how to power commerce in a way that incentivizes you, the gamer, to continue gaming and unlock something. So for example, there's a there's a network called Tapjoy that actually does this quite a bit that a lot of brands probably use where you can say, I'm willing to pay $25 CPA and Tapcart, you know, put this out in your games. And, you know, when Moyes gets to like level nine and dies after three lives and wants two more lives, he can go buy my product. Yeah. I'll pay you 25 bucks. And then Moyes gets two more lives. And the biggest problem, one is you have to actually click out to another website in order to do that. Yeah. The second thing, just generally with this stuff, is uh, customer service inquiries go through the roof. Like you get so many inbound customer service complaints of how uh, you want a refund, you didn't mean to sign up for this, uh, your BBB ratings take a nosedive. It's generally like, you know, if it sounds too good to be true, it's probably too good to be yeah. true. So this company Tempo does something similar, and I'm not very excited about their concept for gaming, but where I think it's interesting is they're they're trying to turn this ad unit that they do within uh, the game, which they've innovated on Tapjoy by adding like Apple Pay and basically the checkout process within the ad unit. Yeah, They're going to be able to do that on uh, websites. So like instead of just a Quantcast ad or a Google display ad, just being a plain version yeah. of a creative, you'll actually be able to like choose your variant of native and then hit checkout and then use Google Pay or Apple Pay to just process in the, the ad unit. In the ad unit, yeah. Which I think is fascinating. And I think it just contributes to all the attribution issues. But at the same time, I think... It's something that's so far overdue, and I'm shocked it hasn't been done yet. I do wonder, like, you know, what the engagement rate is with those types of ads. Like, oh, I mean, know. marketers get super horny for like a point one three percent click through rate. Yeah, I'm I can only imagine this is going to top out at like point two. Yeah, so that's actually I'm 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 planning to talk to him next week, and that's my biggest thing is like, how does this work for brands who are really looking to activate lower funnel or drive conversions? And basically, what is that click-through rate or that conversion rate that they estimate? Their deck had something like 400%, you know, larger conversion rate, which of course is all just fluff. Yeah, yeah. When people say that, I'm just like, uh, how do I find out the real number? Yeah. Also, are you stupid? <laughs> I'm just, like, what, like there are those decks from first-time founders that are always like, year three will be a $700 million business. And I'm like, I see year three, you become Steve Jobs. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or this weekend on uh, Shark Tank, I saw somebody... Somebody said with a straight face, this customer acquisition cost is $2.30. I 
And I was like, you're... You have you no should, customers. You have one customer. Yeah, you either have one that's customer or you should be up there with Bill Gates. Yeah, yeah. That's absolutely crazy. Um, you know, I'm surprised there's not more gamification in like e-commerce when it comes to this. Like, you know, that spin the wheel, the wheel of fortune thing to collect email Yeah, for addresses? email collection. There's nothing else here. Like nobody else has innovated on this. I mean, I've never thought about it, frankly. And I, yeah. you know, I've been in the business for 10 years. So it's partly my fault. But um, I'm surprised that there hasn't been more innovation. You know, when you were telling me this story, I remember like 10 years ago, this is such an embarrassing story. Like I was on wallstreetjournal.com and they've got these banner ads that were run by FedEx and FedEx had like an hourglass. And if you just scrolled over it, the hourglass went upside down and it changed the copy. And so I kept doing, I kept going over the hourglass and kept reading the copy. And 20 times, if you did it 20 times, FedEx is like, you've done this 20 times now. Why have you not clicked this ad? That's awesome. And I was like, I was so embarrassed that I'd gone over the banner ad 20 times to continue reading the copy. It was just an hourglass that would flip and there'd be new text associated with it. Wow. Um, and I was like, this is such an engaging ad. Yeah. Uh, I do think that there's better programmatic ads to be had. For I sure. think it's really difficult to be like, look, we're going to get a sale in the three. Like what happens? You're engaging with it on your phone or on your uh, laptop and you select a scent and does it get bigger? Like, you know, does yeah, I think in theory it would either pop out a window or yeah. if the the banner unit itself is pretty big it could be within there programmatic is such a tough channel to make it work like i remember when we did a holdout test with a lift based attribution software we saw that coupling facebook and retargeting programmatic worked well together yeah. but just programmatic didn't do anything you know, I think there are ways that people can get smarter about ads. Like there was this, I saw this one guy, um, this one guy, uh, one of my brother's friends, he showed me this ad unit he was trying to create. It didn't go anywhere, but he's like, I'm going to create, like, you know how Facebook Messenger has that little round button on the bottom left yeah. of, or like, you know, when you see intercom or something, like there's a little chat button, right? He's like, let's create one for Domino's and put it on ESPN. So that when you're looking at sports and you want to order Domino's, you just click this little chat button in the bottom left and you can order a pizza to your, deliver to yourself instantly. And it was, I guess it was like a programmatic ad in that right. it was like a little, but it, it would like hovered over. It was a little bit more engaging and interesting. And you click it and all of a sudden it is something, you know, like you open it, it opens up like an Olark chat box or like an intercom chat box right? or like those many chat things, you know, and all of a sudden you're engaging with it. I do think that there's room for programmatic ads. I think it's hard to make it so that you buy it. Like, it's hard to be like, you're on NewYorkTimes.com. Let me advertise native and get you to purchase on NewYorkTimes.com. Yeah. That seems like a really big stretch. But like, you know, that Domino's thing on ESPN, it didn't work out for this guy. But I thought that that was a great idea. Yeah. One other interesting use of programmatic that actually does work pretty well. Have you heard of this company called Live Intent? Yes. So they take newsletters, big newsletters from publications like the New York Times and Wirecutter, and they outfit programmatic units within there. But it's kind of like that truck company Agile, where it's like when you see the truck, you think, oh, this is, you know, this is like a native's truck on mm -hmm. the street. But in the newsletter, it's like you'll see a native ad as a banner within the newsletter and you'll think, oh, native must be associated with the New York Times or the New York Times is endorsing native and that's why they're here. And it has that kind of similar effect. So those actually work pretty well. Uh, much higher click-through rates, much better like direct response type of numbers. You know, uh, Pinterest, yeah. Pinterest does this great thing where um, they'll tell you, hey, look, our average uh, click-through rate on an ad is 0.25%. And, you know, if you've been following Facebook for a decade, they've got theirs from like 1.5 to like 1.85, which is a pretty big jump. 
and like substantially higher than Pinterest. Um, it's crazy how brands can exist or programmatic ads can exist with such shitty click-through rates. Yeah, and people still get excited. I think it's 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 a couple things. One, it's like brand marketers. They get sold on impressions, Yeah, which is oh, just yeah. like, yeah, you yeah. know. It's the guys who are working at a big Fortune 500 yeah. at American Express, and they're like, 25,000 eyeballs will see this and you're just yeah. like, wow. I that just, sounds great. Yeah, they'd have real, they don't understand that it means not like, you know, people are just scrolling past that they never actually look right. at it. And the other problem is, um, at least when I worked in ad tech, there was a big goal of, okay, can we sell something that has, you know, I'm just making these numbers up, has like a dollar CPM below the fold. We're going to take that, we're going to go sell it to an advertiser who's dumb enough to buy it for a $4 CPM and we're going to add a, our attribution system is going to be like a 120 day view through window. So basically this person can never even ever see the ad, but they'll just get targeted by one of 25 other ad platforms and get the credit. And it was just, I always just thought programmatic was such a slimy and shady game yeah, for that reason. Yeah. That sounds, have you heard of Critio? Yeah. Oh, that's their game. Yeah. That's their, yeah. That, Critio is the worst organization I've ever heard of in yeah. my entire life. They were pitching me a native, I remember. And I was like, look. Do you guys don't email me again. Otherwise, you're going to hear the truth of what I think about your business. And they're like, what are you talking about? We want to hear the truth. And I was like, I know a bunch of brands where you started working with them and you're like, we're, we're uh, responsible for 200 orders yesterday. And they're like, I only had 80 orders all day yesterday. So how did you get to 200? <laughs> and I'm like, so I, I know that you guys do this. So don't bring your bullshit around me. Because yeah. it gets like, even now I'm getting heated uh, thinking about them. Yeah. And so they're like, I'm going to forward this to my manager. I was like, okay, let me talk to your manager. And I was like, you work in an organization that is full of complete bullshit. Multiple people have told me this. Don't ever email me again. And after that, they never emailed me again. They're like, yeah. they're like, stay away from the, do not, they put me on the do not call list. You know, <laughs> they're like, add this guy's number. We're, we're never going to uh, talk to him again. That's the problem with, uh, you know, this programmatic bullshit. Yeah. Uh, even with like Pinterest ads, they're like, it's like one thirty thirty, And I'm like, 30 days. Are you crazy? This guy saw the ad on Facebook and you're taking credit for it. Get the hell out of here. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, you know, I'm targeting, I, I have the same custom audience building a lookalike audience on both of you guys. And you're taking in credit because you're 130 and you have a 0.25% click-through rate. You get this number out of here, dude. Yeah. And you bring it down to 100 and they're like, oh yeah, we didn't get any sales. Yeah. <laughs> you know, literally, they're like, oh, we, we don't even know who these people, it turns out we don't have users. Yeah. And so I don't understand how these ad platforms are so bad. Yeah. Have you interacted, have you done a lot of, uh, this is an on our agenda, have you done a lot of Pinterest uh, advertising? Not a lot. The Pinterest ads I have done yeah, generally haven't worked out that well. Yeah, it's absolutely horrific. And I'll tell you why. Uh, there are three re three reasons. One is they're like, we have so much, or you know, you're going to create a pin and it's going to get a lot of organic traffic oh, it's too. Such, so you're going to yeah. get organic sales from this, not just ad sales. So right. please remember that the ad platform is only reporting certain set of sales. You have a lot more and you're like, you, and you start doing the math, you're like, actually, you don't get any organic sales. <laughs> yeah. This is not the case. Then um, the ad platform is absolutely the worst in the whole world, yeah, it's to really use. bad. Um, you know, I I've tried to get them to change this multiple times. They will not let you customize your time zone. They're constantly reporting in GMT. So if you look at your ads at 2 p.m. today, you know, if you looked at your ads at you know 2 p.m., you're like, okay, I probably spent about half the money for today because uh, half the waking hours are over. With GMT, you're constantly like, how much money have I spent today? Yeah. I have no idea what is going on inside Pinterest. Right. And then they uh, bring in like attribution windows of like 30, 30, 30, where they're like, you know, why not just make it 365? Yeah. You know, take credit lifetime. for whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your lifetime value is, you know, uh, yeah, they just take credit forever. Yeah. You know, uh, it's absolutely ridiculous. And so it's really tough. 
Is have it? you seen anyone get have success with like Taboola or those types of programmatic ads? So yeah, with Taboola and Outbrain, I've had success, but the way to do it from my experiences, you test a ton of sites very yeah. intentionally, and then you slowly narrow it down. So like at Hint, I want to say we probably tested like 30 or 40 sites, and we realized that it was just like Forbes Health and MSN Health were the only two sites that actually drove conversions. So those are the only sites we spent on. What kind of scale could you get there? Because like- Not um, a lot. Not a lot. Like yeah. tens of thousands, thousands, hundreds? Thousands. 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 Okay. But- before Hint, when I used to work with these really shady publishers that, you know, advertise the slideshows, they would spend like $100,000 a day and they'd have some creative of like a toenail kind of falling off and you'd click it. They would pay two cents for that click. They'd go through a slide. You know, there's a 37 slide slideshow. <laughs> and... <laughs> Every every slide there has like eight programmatic ads <laughs> yeah, right. and they're set to refresh every four seconds. And so they would make, you know, if somebody went five slides in, they'd make like four or five cents and that's all they needed. And then they'd spend $100,000 on Taboola and they'd try to make $300,000 in ad revenue. Wow. It was insane. So then that's how I learned how to Facebook media buy because then I would help them do the same clickbait shit on Facebook uh, before that got banned. But it was essentially like online arbitrage drug dealing of ads. That is crazy. Where were those guys based? What state or country? San Diego, California. Wow. That's where most of them are. That's surprising. Yeah. Uh, because that place uh, is too, like, the, you know, I would have imagined that place is more like um, above board. No. And they're like the nicest white dudes ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's an inverse correlation between how shady you are at business and how kind you are elsewhere. Like, yeah. If you're in a very shady business, you turn out to be an amazing human being. Yeah. You've you're got like, all the morals. Every, yeah. Every homeless person, you're like, give this guy some money because yeah. this is the only way I sleep at night is like yeah. counteracting Knowing what I'm, I'm giving back. Scale. Wow. That's crazy. A hundred thousand. Uh, those are huge numbers. Massive numbers. A lot of these sites are still around as well today. Like, I'm just pulling one up right now. Oh no, it looks like it tanked. But a really interesting tool I used to use is called AdBeat, A-D-B-E-A-T. And you could basically just look at all the different ad networks, Quancast, Taboola, Outbrain, Native, et cetera. And you could just look at who the top spenders are and what their creative is and what their copy is wow. and how many clicks they're getting. So that that's essentially how I used to source clients. Do you ever use a Facebook ad library to get inspiration from other people? Sometimes, although... I would say a lot less recently. Have you seen the TikTok one? No. So they have one that's kind of hidden. I'll send you the link and I'll put the link somewhere on my Twitter as well. But their ad library is really interesting because you can tell them, I want to go for this vertical and I want to show, I want to see the best performing ads and they'll just show you that. Wow. They show you best performing? Yeah. I wonder, how, do they measure it with like, you know, they're like CPA wise? That's a good question. I'm not exactly sure how they do that. But uh, they call them high-performing auction ads. So I would imagine it's based somewhere around click-through rate. Actually, you can choose your objective as well, as well as gotcha. a minimum percentile of like. So the top one to twenty percent. Uh, you can also choose how long they've they've been running, yeah. which is pretty cool. I'll send you this. Okay, yeah, please do. Yeah, I haven't seen anyone launching really compel. I haven't seen any compelling TikTok ads that have made me stop like Ron Popeil's infomercial. Frankly, yeah. Um, but I have seen, and I'd love to warn people who are like possibly listening to this. I've seen a bunch of people who are like, let me start an Amazon store for you. We do all the work. Have you seen these guys' ads? Yeah. They're such criminals. Uh, yeah, straight scammers. Uh, first, they're like, uh, I remember seeing this guy and he's like standing in front of an Amazon fulfillment warehouse and he's like, you know, 
we work with Amazon and I'm like, you're just standing in front of the facility yeah. like anybody could do and you're pretending like you work there. Like, you yeah. know, you have some sort of inside connection. It's so shady. And then they're like, we we will start a store for you. We'll create the product pages. We'll start selling stuff for you. We'll run the ads. You'll make, you know, $10,000 a month. Yeah. And uh, we'll just take a small rev share. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, it's obviously a scam because why wouldn't they just do every? If they're going to do yeah, all the work exactly. themselves, why wouldn't they keep all of the money? Have you seen um, this account, Baller Busters, on Instagram? No. Okay, you. Everybody needs to follow Baller Busters, and it's spelled exactly how it sounds. Yeah. These guys started, I want to say, like four or five years ago. Yeah. And what they do is they basically all these all these kids that are. Renting taking people's Lambo. money, yeah, renting Lambos, taking thousands of dollars from people's savings account and promising them X, Y, or Z, they expose them. And so Baller Busters is just a great encyclopedia of how people are getting tricked. And also they, they'll like straight up just post all the scams that are going on so you can make sure you don't get tricked into one of these. Wow. There's one company called, uh, do you know Ryan Moran? Yeah. He runs this business called capitalism.com and right. he's the exact opposite of this. You know, I don't have any affiliation with him other than I've met him a few times. And uh, every time I chat with him, he's like, I'm helping businesses get to like $100,000 or a million dollars in sales a year. Yeah. Like much smaller businesses than probably you and I deal with on a consistent basis. And he's like genuinely helping. Right. Like, I think he's actually uh, value add. And so if you're in that range, I always like, I, I actually like like chatting with Ryan just because he sees a bunch of these really small businesses yeah. that I don't get to uh, see often. Um, but he's not that type of person. But like all the other people that I see on Instagram, I, I see him on Instagram. I see a lot of other people on Instagram and uh, TikTok that are doing these scam ads that are like, let us start this Amazon store for you. And I, I like comment on all of them and I'm Same. like, don't fall for this scam. Don't fall for this scam. Same. Don't fall for this scam. Yeah. They're such fucking criminals. Yeah. And they run so many ads. Yeah. And then they go to, to some landing page with a video yeah. and somebody brings out a whiteboard and then there's a form and then you click through again, you put your credit card in. Yeah. It's fucked up. Yeah, it is a real scam. I don't yeah. know how to stop it, but the reason I was thinking about it is because you were talking about those guys spending $100,000 and getting $300,000. Yeah. I feel like that's what these guys are doing. Totally. Okay, awesome. That's um, it for episode one, I yeah, think. Yeah, I think we should leave the SaaS companies to another episode. Yeah. But that was an awesome episode one. Yeah, that's We're great. We're back. I'm super excited about, we've got Keith as a guest. Yeah, Keith Rabois. Those are fantastic shoes, by the way. Thank you. Uh, a lot of people really seem good. to like them. Are they Lego Ultra Boost? They are Lego Ultra Boost, yeah. Wow, those are yeah. good. Did you have Sick. to like wait up really late to get them or they're just no, for sale? No, I just paid double on StockX. <laughs> <laughs> Well, like the stock market, I think you're going to see a bunch of those things fall in price as well. But um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so Keith is going to join. We're probably going to have to go through some accounting questions with him. Yeah, accounting questions. Gap. We got to get him riled up. I know he likes to get riled up. I love to get riled up yeah. too, so I'm excited to do that. Awesome. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next time to cut through the noise in CPG, retail, and e-commerce. And if you enjoyed this episode, then why not share it with a friend? And be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss the next one. 